You are both the main character and the author of your story. Are you ready to pick up the pen and decide how your story goes? Here, we use mindset, spirituality, myths, legends, and history to spark individual paradigm shifts. Welcome to Rewriting Myth. Let's begin. Welcome back to another episode of Rewriting Myth. I am excited for this episode today because I still feel like this is the beginning of the podcast. This is the beginning of our journey here together. This is the beginning of our process in going into the rewriting myth process. And I still feel that little bit of excitement and a little bit of that novelty around all of the things that we're going to talk about today. And so in honor of the spirit of that, I thought today would be a good day to start our cultural examinations of mythos and cultural stories and foundational myths and things like that by starting at the beginning. And really, when I mean starting at the beginning, I'm talking the beginning story that we usually hear about creation, about the beginning. And what I mean by that is the story of Adam and Eve from the book of Genesis in the Old Testament, if you're reading a Christian Bible, or the beginning of the Jewish Bible. And so this one is a pretty impactful story for me. And you'll you'll hear what I mean by that later on in the show. But this one, this story is one that I heard a lot when I was a child. This is one of the first stories that I really remember besides just other types of fairy tales and things like that. This is the first type of dogmatic religious story. And it had a lot of impact on me because I identify as a woman and I was presented as a as a girl when I was younger. And so, of course, what happened with Eve and all of that had a pretty um, intense impact on my childhood. And we're, we're going to get into all of that. But I really wanted to share this one with you today because I feel like if you live in the Western world um, or any part of the world that has been touched by Christianity, then you probably have a personal story with this story from the Bible as well. And I had such issue with it for such a long time. Um, This was one of the stories that really made me want to break away from the church, actually. There's many, many reasons why I did ultimately decide to leave the Christian church. I grew up as a Catholic, um, and there is a lot of trauma around that that we can get into on a different day. But This story in particular had a pretty significant weight in the decision of me wanting to leave the church even when I was young, just because of the way that it was described to me, the way that the story was told to me, and what the authority types of figures around me in the church were telling me what it meant. All of those things kind of culminated together, and it just did not work for me anymore. And so for a long time, after I had a traumatic experience with the church and I broke away from the church, I was pretty much completely atheist for a very long time. I'm like, nothing spiritual, get any sort of religion out of here. I will happily try to um, disprove anything as far as religion goes and don't bring your religious stories to me. Yeah, I was very, very 
wounded and I acted from a very wounded place. So anytime anybody else around me brought up religion or judged me for not being Christian or whatever, I got very, very defensive. And my defense mechanism was trying to prove the stories wrong and things like that. And that's just not the way that I operate anymore because I've healed a little bit more since then. And one of the ways that I was able to heal my my connect, well, I don't want to say connection because I'm still not a Christian per se, but one of the ways that I was able to kind of heal my relationship with old stories like this is through the rewriting myth process. And so I wanted to share this with you because when I thought about this story in particular and the way that it was presented to me, I didn't want to keep that moral with me in my heart anymore. I didn't want that version of the story to be what I carried with me because no matter how much I tried to, did try to and perhaps still try to distance myself from the church or orga- particularly organized religion, I can never completely rinse it out of my soul. I can't I can't wash it away. I can't um, change how it has impacted me because this story and plenty of other stories from the Bible were repeated to me very, very often. I was definitely submerged in the waters of Christianity when I was growing up. And so for a long time, I tried to basically just get rid of Christianity out of my system, get basically detox myself away from it. And unfortunately, I was submerged in it for so long and our culture is submerged in it. I live in the United States and I live in the middle of the United States. So definitely the um, red states over here. And so the Christ, the um, stories of Christianity are definitely not being detoxed out of the society of, of which I am submerged into. And so something for me that has been incredibly helpful for me to be able to deal with um, stories like this that may have had a traumatic impact on me is to be able to rewrite them. So that's what I want to share with you today. And so really, the point of this episode, I hope by the time that you finish listening to this, I hope the thing that you could take away from this is understanding the importance of challenging authoritative versions of foundational stories like Adam and Eve or a lot of other Christian types of stories or other dogmatic religious types of stories. So let's get into it. So when biblical mythos like Adam and Eve, when they're taken literally with kind of like an understanding that they're historical events, the authoritative version of the story and its authoritative version of its moral start to emerge. And that's what I was talking about a little bit earlier, is trying to challenge what the authorities around me told me that the story was about. And that's what we're going to really kind of focus on today. Um, Because after all, if we're under the assumption that stories like Adam and Eve are historical, or they were events that actually happened in history, that means that there can be only one correct way that things went down, right? Looking at myths and dogmatic types of stories like this and legends and things like that, looking at all of these things as if they were historical events doesn't allow room for different interpretations or even updates to the stories or the morals depending upon the generation, the customs, the culture, things like that. So 
Like I said, one of my main goals today is to attempt to take this story and look at it from a radically different angle than the traditional or authoritative version usually allows for. So today I want to attempt to look at this story through a more kind of mythic and um, psychological lens. And so when I say this, I want to preface this by saying that by no means is my version the correct version or is the information that I'm sharing with you something that I think that you should believe. That is not the goal of this podcast at all. But I hope that hearing what I've chosen to write the Adam and Eve story as is kind of like um, a springboard for you to be able to rewrite it in a way that serves you. So maybe the points that I make in this episode about the story on Adam, of Adam and Eve aren't something that will resonate completely with you, or they may be something that you disagree with completely. And that's great. Um, but hopefully, what I will share with you will help be an inspiration for you to find what it is within the stories that you like, and then maybe kind of uh, take a look at the parts that are triggering for you or anything like that, and to be able to kind of like view them from a different lens. In my language, I would say to rewrite them, but maybe something that would resonate for you more is to be able to take the parts that trigger you or things like that and just be able to see them in a slightly different light to be able to uh, create less of a traumatic sort of impact on you. So that's the goal of this. So like I've mentioned, I have a particularly painful history when it comes to the story of Adam and Eve. And so doing the process of rewriting myth on this story was honestly very cathartic and healing for me. So like I said, if you've had any similar experience with the authoritative version of this story, then I hope that rewriting it will be cathartic for you as well. So let's get started with it. The rewriting myth process is both for personal mythology and cultural mythology. So in the last episode, which is episode one, it's valuing mythos over logos. So if you haven't listened to that, I would take a listen to that first, then come back here. But in that last episode, I talked a lot about what personal mythology is and how to use the rewriting myth process on the stories you tell yourself about yourself. But today's focus will be on foundational cultural stories that have had a hand in shaping who we are, whether we're conscious of it or not. So that's really the type of lens that we're going to be looking at here. Like I said at the beginning of this episode, for me, even as a non-Christian, the story of Adam and Eve was one that I was told repeatedly through childhood. And as a young girl, hearing this story from my parents, my Sunday school teacher, and my priest, it truly affected the way that I viewed and understood men, women, and myself, and all of our places within the world. And later on, my abusive stepfather loved to talk about how I was inferior because I was a woman like Eve. He thought this story basically had given him the God-ordained right to hold power over my mother and myself. And I won't go too far into that. As you continue to listen to the podcast, I'm sure that I will touch on bits of my past. But what I guess you need to know is because of this, of all of this, and the way that he viewed the story, years after I left the church and years after he died, he got what was coming to him. I will say that. Um, but anyway, years after all of that, and even after I had left the church, the story of Adam and Eve still affected me on a deep level. It, fe- it, it impacted me on what felt like a cellular 
kind of level because this mythos was repeated so often throughout my short little life that it was like it was encoded into my DNA. And Adam and Eve and their sins were ever present within me, even if it wasn't something that I thought about consciously every day in my day-to-day life. And so before we kind of get into that, uh, let's just talk about what the authoritative version of Adam and Eve is and just kind of go over a short reminder of the story just as a refresher. So really, the uh, the when I, I think about when I was younger, these are basically the three points that my stepfather would love to repeat to me. And so the moral of this version of the story that I remember it as is One, women were inferior to men as a punishment for eating God's forbidden fruit. Uh, Two, modern women were to be subservient to men to make up for Eve ripping humanity out of blissful time in Eden and into the difficulties of being human. And Adam's life, and subsequently every man's life after Adam, was difficult only because he listened to Eve and then he ate the forbidden fruit when she offered it to him. So those are the three main points or the three main kind of bullet points, the moral of the story, as I remember it growing up. Now, these bullet points obviously oversimplify the story, um, but really they make up the backbone to the moral of the story, at least as we, a lot of us, unfortunately, are told today. These points are really what make up the backbone of our conversations around gender norms. And when I say that, I mean more like I'm thinking back in the day, especially um, the farther back in time you go, the more this reinforces those gender norms. Fortunately, the conversation today is starting to open up a little bit more as far as gender norms go, but there's still that bit, especially if you you know, you have been within the church like I have, then you know what I'm talking about, hopefully. So because these bullet points or these parts of the story really stayed with me throughout my childhood, for me, they became part of my identity and impacted my day-to-day actions, even though I wasn't consciously thinking about it. And I tell you all of this not to make the story completely about me, but because I'm willing to bet that there are people listening to this who have probably had Um, that type of experience with the story as well. What this looked like for me was always trying to make up for some apparent but invisible sense of lack within myself, like I was lacking and I was always trying to make up for this invisible lack. So I bent over backwards in every, every area of my life, but especially in my career. And I was the first one into my job. I was the last one to leave. And I was always acting as though I had something to prove or to make up for, even though I didn't. I didn't have anything to prove or to make up for, but I always felt like I did. Part of that is just from growing up in poverty. But part of that is this lesson that was reinforced to me throughout my entire life was this bit about Eve and trying to make up for for that. Basically, my unconscious conditioning told me that I was inherently wrong and sinful from the moment that I was born. And additionally, because I had certain reproductive organs, I needed to make up for that too. And it wasn't until I did the rewriting myth process on Adam and Eve's story that I finally made the connection of how this story had affected me in invisible ways throughout my life and honestly that I had the power to change how I understood it. 
So today I want to share with you how I rewrote the story of Adam and Eve for myself, or particularly the morals of Adam and Eve for myself. And I hope that seeing this story from a new light will be helpful for you as you find other cultural mythos and stories that you have had a painful past with. And I hope this helps you rewrite them as well. But before we get into an alternative version and take a look at alternative types of morals that we can take from Adam and Eve's story, uh, let's review the rewriting myth process so that we're both on the same page going forward. So the first step is to be able to examine your current story and understand the factors that changed it. So for our purposes today, we're not looking so much at your personal story, but we are looking at cultural stories that you were or are immersed in, and we're going to take a look at how they affect you today. So that's what we're doing here in this episode. So step number two is to be able to isolate the parts of your story that need to be released. So in these cultural mythoi, which is the plural of cultural mythos, which is very fun. I love the word mythoi. I think that's so much more fun than the word myths, which is why you hear me say it so often. Anyway, that's a side tangent. But in these cultural mythoi, these many stories that you gather from your culture that have had an impact on you, as you gather them and you find the parts of the narratives that have impacted you negatively or are an obstacle as you work on becoming the version of yourself that you want to be. So we need to be able to find those parts of the stories that you were submerged in and see how they are keeping you from becoming who you want to be. So that's point number two. Point number three is to be able to establish your personal storytelling skill and practice active and positive personal storytelling. I want to just get into that just a little bit because I feel like this is one of the very hardest steps to do. So before we start to do any of that, I hope that you congratulate yourself on even deciding to do any of this process because the act of being brave enough to look at popular cultural stories is a huge undertaking. It's so much more easier to leave foundational mythos or dogmatic religious stories unchallenged. So confronting these stories is an act of courage because there are many people out there that are actively discouraging other people from challenging these old stories, particularly people within organized religion, organized current religions, right? It's not a very popular idea to be able to, can you know, kind of walk into a Catholic church and be like, hmm the way that you're telling this story, I think that I'm going to kind of think of it like this for my mental health. Or you know what I mean? Like that wouldn't probably be a uh, a popular um, action within the church, right? Anyway, so I hope that you take a moment to congratulate yourself on that. So before we move on to step four, I also wanted to point out that active personal storytelling is the true rewriting part of the rewriting myth process. And so this is when you take that cultural myth, those stories, those legends that you were submerged in, and you rewrite it so that way it is a way for you to understand yourself on a deeper level and to be able to use these stories as a springboard for you to step into the future version of you that you want to become, aka stepping into your higher self this version that you want to be that is within you already. 
And then last but not least, step number four is strengthening your self-support as you express your new story. So remember, active personal storytelling is not a talent that you are either born with or you're not. It's a skill. And like all skills, they can be learned, sharpened, and mastered. Anybody can do this. I truly, truly believe that. I truly believe that if you don't like your current story, you don't like where you are. There are parts of the way that you talk about yourself that you don't like. You talk, Maybe you talk about yourself and parts of yourself in a negative way. I truly believe that this is something that you can be in charge of, that you could take hold of, and that you could change if you want to, because it is a skill, not a talent. So please, allow yourself grace as you start to rewrite your personal mythology. All right, so with the basics out of the way, let's get to rewriting Adam and Eve. When I thought about rewriting the morals of Adam and Eve for me, the main thing that I started to think about was challenging the binary nature of the Adam and Eve story. So as I've kind of talked about, The authoritative version of Adam and Eve enforces binary rather than allowing for duality. What happens if we see Adam and Eve as archetypes instead of historical figures? So we've already talked about how the authoritative types of versions of this story and any story really within um, the Bible and within Abrahamic religions acts as though these stories should be taken literally as um, historical events and things like that. Um, We're very much discouraged to look at them through a mythic, more metaphorical type of lens, which is unfortunate because the stories would have a much more deeper and long-lasting impact if we are able to look at them like that rather than viewing the Bible per se as like a history book. If Adam and Eve are two separate historical figures, Logic dictates that every subsequent human after them must fall into one camp or the other, men or women, strengthening the strict binary style of thinking that is so prevalent in today's world. The expectation given to Adam and Eve and to many plants, fish, animals, things like that within the Bible is to make copies of themselves. Um, and this is no different for human beings. So to give you an example, in Genesis 1, verse 11, quote, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so, unquote. And it goes on to describe plants creating more copies of itself based on the seed already within it. With that expectation kind of laid out and clear, we can see how if Adam and Eve are two separate historical figures, as the standard authoritative version of the story wants us to believe, like I said, then logic dictates that every subsequent human being afterwards needs to fall into one or the other. This logic strengthens that strict binary thinking that we have in this world. So we've talked a lot about that in the first episode. And so if you listen to that, you'll kind of hear a lot of um, recurring thought patterns here. So in the Bible, God gives the expectation for Adam and Eve, and like I said, most other things in nature to make copies of themselves. This all leads to the, if you have X style of reproductive organs, then you fall into Adam's camp. 
or if you have Z style of reproductive organs, then you fall into the Eve camp. There's no room for discussion for any person that doesn't fit into the X then Y style of thinking. So I'll go ahead and guess that you can see the issues that come up with the uh, very strict black and white style of thinking that is over encouraged here. We must be able to balance seeing the world around us in both a mythic and logical way. Not only seeing the world and the stories about the world and things like that in logical terms. So like I said, see episode one more on um, going into that. So now let's see the value of seeing biblical characters as archetypes instead of historical figures. So if Adam and Eve become archetypes that live within all of us, rather than two people that we must choose between then fall in line behind, then their story allows room for individual complexities. So before we get much further, let's let's try and attempt to define what archetypes actually are. So a simple Google search will tell you that archetypes are, quote, universally understood symbols or terms or patterns of behavior, prototypes upon which others are copied, patterned, and emulated, unquote. By the way, I'm using the word archetype in a more Jungian sense. This is an eponym for Carl Jung. So Carl Jung is a psychoanalyst in the early 20th century, and he coined that term using it really synonymously with like something like primordial images, things like that. So what makes defining the word archetype pretty interesting is if you put a bunch of Jungian trained psychologists and analysts into a room together and you ask all of them for a definition of the word archetype, you're going to get different answers which I find fascinating. But usually they say something similar. Archetypes are hard to define because that's the nature of archetypes. They're mythical and cosmological ideas, motifs, and imagery that humans attempt to put into a cohesive definition or understanding. But because they are so outside of the normal kind of day-to-day life and things like that, it's very, very hard to be able to just like cram what archetypes are into one nice, neat little definition. So now that we got the archetype definition thing out of the way, let's talk more about what our archetypal Adam and Eve would be like. If we are to talk about archetypal Adam and Eve, that would allow for duality and complexities that exist within all of us. If we follow the authoritative understanding of Adam and Eve, then Part of the moral of that story is that humans, that every human on this planet must fall into one or the other. Continuing that sort of logic and that sort of uh, moral of the story, then once humans can be nice and neatly categorized as one or the other, then they're expected to follow the typical Adam and Eve relationship. They are supposed to get married and produce children and continue to make copies of themselves because that's what the Bible says, right? And our society still expects that today, only with a little bit of differentiation just only very recently allowed. I mean, if you go back to, let's, what was it? Um, June 26, 2015. This was the day that the same-sex couples could finally get legally married in all 50 states within the U.S. and for their marriage to be legally recognized throughout the country. And I point this out because this was only eight years ago as of this recording here in 2023. That is barely a blip in the radar considering how long that uh, Judeo-Christian beliefs 
became dominant within our culture and society. So if we're going to continue to time travel back to before 2015, and frankly, you'll still hear this a lot even in today's world, but pretending that we're traveling back to pre-June 26, 2015, then this was not a decision that everybody in the U.S. took very well. If you remember, I mentioned that I am from the United States and I am from the middle of the United States in very conservative red countries. Um, And so I heard this saying a lot. I'm sure you probably did too. But um, back in the day, once this did become legal, there was a lot of people out there on the streets being like, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Remember that? (laughs) It was very prominent and it still is among anti-LGBTQ groups or whatever. And I bring all of this up because, frankly, the authoritative version of Adam and Eve's story still has a stronghold on most of the world today. And we haven't even gotten to speak about gender identification yet. We're just talking about same-sex couples at this point and what Adam and Eve's story means for heterosexual couples and the expectation for them to reproduce and things like that. There's a lot of cans of worms here that we haven't even begun to open with with this story. So all this begs the question of what happens when we are submerged in a culture that exists in a fixed binary mindset rather than one that allows for duality within all of us. When we live in a world where logos is valued much more highly than mythos, and a this or that types of mindset reigns supreme, then many of us will cut out all whole parts of ourselves to fit neatly within the allocated sides of the binary. Let's get more into it. So most obviously, of course, there is the gender binary, which is probably the most obvious. So we've spoken a lot about how in the authoritative and historical, quote unquote, version of Adam and Eve story is, logic dictates that every human born after Adam and Eve, aka all humans, fall into either a progeny of Adam or a progeny of Eve based on what reproductive organs are visible at birth, at least throughout our history. And if you live outside of that gender binary in any capacity, the Bible and the story of Adam and Eve is used against you. It's no wonder why so many non-binary people wait to come out and, and up until then will probably either wear the mask of either male or female to avoid ridicule, right? So this is just an example of somebody who doesn't fit within the X then Z style of thought patterns that were introduced really here in this Adam and Eve story. This is just an example of somebody who may have to cut out whole parts of themselves to be able to fit within what this story's morals was trying to teach people. This cutting out parts of ourselves to be able to fit within a binary style of thinking, what this is is trying to put on a mask always and just to have that mask protect us in a way. So This practice of mask wearing and cutting out whole parts of ourselves to fit into this binary style of thinking happens outside of just the gender binary. This happens in a lot, lot of different ways. This happens when you absorb a label or maybe a label is given to you and you become bound to a box that that label has put you into. 
So I'll give you a few examples and you can see if any of these sound familiar when you think about the cultural quote-unquote rules of either side. So let's give a few examples here. So there's career-driven versus stay-at-home parent or religious versus atheist or creative versus analytical, extroverted versus introverted, winning versus losing, employee versus entrepreneur. Citizen versus non-citizen, conservative versus liberal, us versus them. The list goes on and on and on of these types of binaries that we can find ourselves falling into one side or the other with very strict rules about what either side are. And living in a culture built on thinking in binary means that if you don't fit neatly into one category or the other, or you don't follow the rules to a T of one side or the other, then you damn well better make sure that you don't show the parts of you that don't fit perfectly into your chosen side. We're seeing this very, very clearly in the United States with the the very, very harsh division of the right and the left side of politics, right? It's all too easy to suffer from shame and a sense of worthlessness if we don't see ourselves neatly into one side or the other of a label or a binary, or if other people around us don't validate how we fit into the binary nicely. So I'll give you a personal example from my own life. When I was about 12 years old, I was already six feet tall and I was very thin and I was mercilessly made fun of for it. Both boys and girls would bully me for it and they would talk about how I was mannish and ugly because I was almost six feet tall. I was a freak because I wasn't nearly the same height as the other girls my age. I didn't visibly fit into the label I was given. I, would, I didn't visibly fit into the label of being a girl. And I hated myself for years because of it. Because at the time, I didn't realize there was an option to be more than one or the other. There was only a few ways to present as a pretty and normal girl, and I wasn't that. Now, let me be clear, I say all of this as a cisgendered woman, so my experience was vastly different than somebody transgendered or non-binary. But I'm sure we can all think back to times when we didn't represent a binary perfectly and we were shamed because of it, or we didn't represent a label perfectly, or a title, or whatever. We didn't represent something perfectly as a cookie-cutter mold of it, and we were shamed because of it. But here's the thing. You have more complexities than a binary-only option. You are not a cookie cutter of a label. You are not a perfect mold of a label or a binary or anything like that. Your nature is more complex than culturally conditioned programming allows for. You are not simply a set of variables that can be plugged into an equation, like if I do X, then that means I have to do Z right? Like we talked about in this episode and last episode. Personal identity starts to form when we're young, and it forms unconsciously for the most part. Things like family lore, media consumption, dogmatic types of religious stories, all of these start to shape who we are without us fully realizing it until maybe one day you wake up and you look in the mirror and you ask, how did I get like this? But once you have the self-awareness and the tools to be able to take ownership of your identity, you could play more of an active role in creating it or shaping it or rewriting it, as I like to say. But one of the first steps is to be able to take a look at these culture-forming mythos and stories like Adam and Eve and see how it played a part in shaping who you are. And once you do that, 
you can make the decision of if you want to keep that version with you or rewrite it into one that better suits the identity and the version of you that you want to become. And so for me, the version of myself that I wanted to become my future version of myself and the story that I wanted to tell myself about myself was not being helped by the authoritative version of Adam and Eve. Thinking about myself as inferior because of my reproductive organs I was born with is not something that helped me become the version of me that I want to. And so because of that, the rewriting myth process dictates that I should be able to look at this cultural story and be able to view it in a lens that is able to help me. And so that's what all of this is about. If you're anything like me and this story of Adam and Eve has impacted you similarly how it has to me, then a way to change how a story like Adam and Eve affects you is to practice seeing it in a way that you're not used to. And that's really hard to do. So let's get into that a little bit. So with old religious stories or popular myths, I like to think about not only how different the ancient people would have absorbed this story and how they would have actually thought about these stories, but I also like to think very um, kind of existentially about what changing the story or looking at it from a different lens would be. So I like to kind of think about like, what would an alien or like a Martian think about these stories? Like, bear with me, bear, bear with me and I'll get into it. But what I mean is like, let's say an alien came to Earth and was able to understand English too. And let's say they came to Earth and you had them read the story of Adam and Eve. How would they understand it? Now, remember, this alien was not submerged in a dominantly Christian culture. They've never heard of the Bible or any of the characters in the book, and they don't even know what a God is or who God is or whatever. Knowing all of that, how do you think that they would understand this story? I mean, who knows, right? This is a really wild hypothetical, but hopefully kind of thinking in this kind of very existential, dare I say, extraterrestrial type of way can help get your creative juices flowing. To get you started, I tried clearing my mind of my past understandings of Christian culture, its historical impact, and my own personal history with the religion. And I attempted to come at the story with fresh eyes. So like I said at the top of the show, I was somebody that was hurt by the Christian church. And so when I was able to finally leave it, I had this very deep negative bias against the church. I turned full atheist and I was actively trying to disprove anything that the Bible said because of how much I was hurt in the church. So I needed to get rid of all, or at least as best as I could, I needed to get rid of all of that to try to be able to understand a story from a different level and just from one that hasn't been submerged into it for so long. So something that I had asked myself to do was I asked myself, quote, how can I understand the story in a new way that actually helps me with my life? Essentially, how can I rewrite this mythos to fit me better? And once I was able to do that, that's when I was starting to be able to think about how maybe Adam and Eve aren't individual people at all, but rather elements of our own psyche. What if the point of the story isn't to showcase how and why the patriarchy was set up? Now, remember, patriarchy literally means the rule of the fathers, which literally is the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible, what they are. 
This is the story of the fathers, essentially. So keeping that in mind, what if the point of this story can be to encourage people to see that the image of God is to recognize both the masculine and feminine energies within all of us, and that the goal is to integrate them, to balance them, to marry them together, right? What if the point isn't to show how, you know, men and women are supposed to get married, not the whole Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve kind of thing that I was talking about earlier, right? Like, what if it wasn't about any of that? What if we completely flipped on, flipped it on its head and it's like, oh, Instead of marrying these two different types of people together, what if the whole thing is about marrying these different versions, these different energies, these different archetypes within us? What if the point was to marry them together for us to be more of a complete and um, whole human being? What if that is the image of God, right? So I'll leave you with a quote from the Bible. And I didn't get where this is in the Bible. I'm sorry. I'll have to come back maybe in an Instagram story and and say exactly where this was in the Bible. But, quote, And God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, with this line, I take that as to have a full image of God, you need both male and female. Even the Israelites back in the day would have understood that a room full of men would not be the image of God. A room full of just women is not the image of God. What the image of God is, is all of these different types of dualities, complexities, this diversity, really. All of that together is what the image of God is. And for me, when I think about this story like that, That is how I like to see the story. This is the story that I have rewritten in my own mind. And like I said, this doesn't have to be the version that you believe. And I'm not even saying it's the correct version. If you ask a theologian what this story means and its morals and things like that, maybe they think I'm wrong. And that's totally fine. That's the beautiful thing about cultural mythos like these is that there is no one authoritative version, no matter what the church says, no matter what your parents say, or the priest or your Sunday school teacher or whatever. The beautiful thing about mythology, and I absolutely think of Abrahamic religions, current modern religions, things like that. I absolutely think of them as mythology because these are stories that humans have told and created to explain the unexplainable within them and the earth and the world and the cosmos and things like that. And so there is no one right way to look at any of this. How could how could there be? That would just be so um, narrow-minded and very short-sighted, I say. So anyway, I hope that this has been inspirational for you to be able to look at stories that you once thought were carved into stone and unchangeable. And I hope that being able to see this story flipped on its head will encourage you to be able to see any other story that you think that is carved into stone and to be able to flip it on its head. Because once we're able to do that, and once we're able to especially do that with stories or morals or things like that that have had negative impacts on us, that's when the paradigm shift happens. That's when the paradigm starts to change and the world we live in starts to change, not only within us individually, but if more and more of us did that for ourselves, 
I truly believe that could be what changes the world. Now I'm going to get a little bit soapboxy here. So I'll go ahead and step off of my soapbox for today. And I'll see you next time.